Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, the Queener, Kenny Omega. And now, here's your host, Rob Pastani. What a show, what a show I have for you today. Thank you for tuning into the Squared Circle Pit. Possibly the biggest guest in the history of Squared Circle Pit. Talking about the hottest wrestler in New Japan Pro Wrestling right now. Maybe the best wrestler in the world. The cleaner, Kenny Omega. Uh, I've been trying to get Kenny on the show for a while. Figured I'd just send him a tweet from the Metal Injection account. And we've been DMing for about a month or two. And it, it all worked out coincidentally on the first day, the, the morning of the first day of the G1 tournament. Now, I know a good portion of you are probably WWE fans. You might not really follow New Japan outside of what, seeing a few gifts that your friends have shared. But the G1 is the perfect time for you to get into New Japan. It is a tournament that consists of 20 guys in two blocks. So 10 guys in A block, 10 guys in B block. In each block, you it's a round robin. So you have to face all the other guys in the block. So there each wrestler has nine matches in the first round of the tournament. And if you win a match, you get two points. If you lose a match, you get zero points. If it's a tie or a draw, uh, it's one point each. And then at the after everybody has faced all nine other competitors in their block, the person with the most points from block A and block B face each other in the finals to determine the winner of the G1 Climax. And the winner's prize is a briefcase with a contract to be in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom, which is essentially like New Japan's WrestleMania, on January 4th. And it's basically the best wrestling of the year. All the best guys in New Japan have been wrestling. I've been keeping up with it. I'm only one day behind now. I've watched seven days of New Japan Pro Wrestling. And it has been... So good that it makes it hard <laughs> to watch Raw and SmackDown. And I kind of just been breezing through those shows just to kind of see what the big angles were, just because I want to watch more New Japan. I'm going to not talk about Battleground, which happened this weekend, because I want to keep things positive. Not really a fan of what happened. I feel they kind of recovered on SmackDown. Uh, but it still seems ridiculous to me that the main event next week is going to be John Cena versus Nakamura for the right to face Jinder Mahal at SummerSlam. John Cena versus Nakamura should be the main event of SummerSlam. But anyway, that's it. That's all I'm going to talk about WWE. Let's shift focus to New Japan. Let's shift focus to my guest today, Kenny Omega. Now, Kenny Omega, not just a great wrestler, he's also a metalhead. I learned this by listening to Chris Jericho's podcast. We'll talk about I talk about it with Kenny. And he shares uh, some of the bands he loves. And, and I, him talking about metal was my favorite part of this interview. But then we, of course, talk about New Japan, living in Japan. Really great stuff. I, I originally told Kenny it would be a half-hour interview. We ended up talking for like an hour. So without further ado, here's my interview with the cleaner, Kenny Omega. Now entering the squared circle pit, the biggest star to ever grace this podcast the biggest star in New Japan Pro Wrestling right now, inarguably, the IWG United States Heavyweight Champion, Mr. Kenny Omega. Thank you, sir, for taking some time. Good morning, or what time zone are you in? Where, where are we again? Uh, I am in New good York City. Good morning for me. Yeah. Okay. So it's so it's, good. Good evening. Yeah. And you know, my math isn't the best, but I just mm -hmm. realized. It's the morning of the G1 for you, the first day of the G1. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, it's an early afternoon show today, so I've got a little bit of time to relax or get a quick workout in, and then we head to the show. It is not my block, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm paying close attention to everything. I and see. I've got to get into that G1 mode, so uh, this, this day is just as important. So this is one of those shirt on kind of days for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's fair to say that it will be a shirt on kind of day. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I notice that that happens in the tag team matches where you're you you don't feel like taking off your shirt. You don't want to you don't want to influence the ladies in the crowd too much for the tag team matches. 
No, yeah, that, that well, that and um, you know, it's it's a bit of a hassle to have to shave your chest every day. So, mm, that's something. As yeah, gotta gotta give. Yeah, I gotta give the irritated skin a day off or two every now and then. That makes perfect sense to me. So, like mentally, like you know, this is going to be like a few weeks of every almost every day, right? Or virtually every day. Yeah, almost like, every day. How do how do you prepare? Like, do you do you step up your cardio? Like, like what what preparation goes into the G one? Well, the cardio is almost built into the tournament, right? Because mm-hmm. you're working almost every day. Of course, leading up to the G1, you can you can do things like up your cardio. Uh, you can uh, cut back on your rest time in between sets and all that. But in general, uh, for me, who has kind of gone into this thing um, already kind of being in, in decent athletic condition, I've done some long matches of this year already that I've prepared for. It's more of the mental grind that gets you it's staying mentally focused, being able to switch the brain on and off on a moment's notice, and um, well, just being able to be inspired to tell these stories on a whim. It's uh, it's really difficult, and that yeah, that's kind of the 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 part of it that people overlook is that you know a lot of it's very cerebral, especially if you're not a wrestler like how I am, and more so a performer and a storyteller. It's a little more difficult on the brain than the body. I am at you because you basically have to come up with, uh, I, I don't know, like over 10, you know, 10 to 15 different stories or whatever. Right, exactly. In the, in the process of the tournament. Yeah. So, yeah, we've got like 20 shows or whatever it is. And, um, you know, the, the tag matches people aren't, aren't necessarily focused or invested in. But, you know, they, you can't just throw them away. Those are important, too. Uh, and the fans are happy to see everyone. Uh, so, and also, um, like I feel for you, you are, are are proud of your work, and I feel it seems watching your matches that you're not the type of guy that typically phones it in. You give it your all. If it's uh, a singles match, if it's the main event at Wrestle Kingdom, or or even I love, I honestly love the tag matches where the Bullet Club is together because you guys have such great camaraderie and chemistry working together. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, you know what? A lot of people sort of write off the tag matches just in general because, you know, the cards aren't based around those. But, um, you know, me knowing that full well, that perhaps not everyone is is signing on to New Japan Pro Wrestling World, our streaming service for those tag matches. They still might be tuning in to watch the show and they want to watch all of it. And it would be a disservice, I think, to everyone if you just threw the match away and kind of just said, well, I know you just want to watch the main event, so we're going to phone it in. I still try to make good memories for those matches and try to make them fun. Um, Not necessarily, you know, the hard-hitting, emotional blockbusters of of main event-style matches, but if it's entertaining and you can smile or you can laugh or there was something cool to take away from it, I think um, that's just as important in the undercard. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as someone who's gotten into New Japan over the last few years, it, I initially definitely felt like how you say, like I skipped over the tag matches, like they seemed mm. inconsequential. But the more I would get into it, and every time there would be a wrestler in the matches that I would care about, I found myself more and more drawn into them. And I, I really like the tag matches as a storytelling device to kind of advance feuds. And if like there's tag teams where the feud switches where the two you know the two singles in the in, in the tag team switch feuds with the, like i like that as a creative way to move the story along without giving away all the matches definitely and i even um and this is for me uh not necessarily for everyone but i actually like the dynamic of being able to see in these multi-mans sometimes you're gonna get um because we don't really mix weight classes the tag matches allow for you know, a junior wrestler, which will never, well, not, I can't say never, but will just uncommonly get a singles match with a heavyweight wrestler. You know, these are the chances to see those guys put in some work together. And, yeah. um, for me, for me, that's, that was always really cool and exciting and fun to watch. Um, or even just, you know, uh, in, in new Japan, we have a lot of very long, slow burn angles where you're kind of married to an individual for a long period of time. So those tag matches allow for it to be freshened up a little bit where you can see, you know, the person that you're watching 
um, in a different match than the person he's in an angle with, at least for a small period of time. Right, right, and have them interact with other wrestlers. Yeah, that, exactly. It, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Well, uh, you know, I like I said, I've been a, a big fan of yours for a while, and I listened to your podcast with Chris Jericho, and I was. Uh. I was a little surprised. I don't know if surprised is the word, but it, it took me back to hear that you happen to be a metalhead. And, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because you told a story about uh, on on the podcast about how you got Chris Jericho's Blind Guardian CD. Could you just quickly right, recap yeah. that? Like, like what? How? how that sure. Came well, um, it, it was just as a fluke of fate. My English teacher in high school was a close friend of Chris Jericho's, I guess, longtime friend. And um, at the time, uh, Chris Jericho was doing an article for some sort of metal magazine, I believe it was. And he would review um, just some albums. I don't know if they were necessarily always new, but he would he would review just a handful of albums and give his opinions. And, of course, to review some stuff, he would have to hear it and he'd have to physically have – uh, the CD. This is kind of before the, the days of like digital media. So um, I, I guess uh, I, I, I doubt it was that he disliked it, but you know, you receive this abundance of, of metal and um, I don't know how, but um, Oh, I do know how. Yes. I was wearing a blind guardian shirt uh, to one of the classes mm-hmm. that I was uh and uh, my teacher had noticed, and I suppose uh, he had just made a mental note that he had seen that. And uh, when Chris came out with uh, a review of one of the Blind Guardian albums, he'd kind of you know connected the dots and saying like, "Oh wow, you know this have this kid who's this wrestling fan, and he's also a Blind Guardian fan, and you know if Chris passes this album along to me because he would give him some albums too. I guess the the teacher was also into metal. Uh, he then you know." presented me with the the album from there as like an an indian gift so to speak i love it which, yeah which, no i i loved it <laughs> <laughs> which album was it which playing it was uh imaginations from the other side oh uh, mm. a pretty good gift <laughs> yeah definitely yeah so i mean i i had just started to get into blind guardian we had this show in canada uh because we had much music as like our our musical um station I guess you guys always had MTV oh, you had much in America. Music, right? right, right, right. So we had much music and we had this program called Loud, which yeah. was kind of devoted to, um, you know, I guess it was one hour of just all metal music videos. Mm-hmm. And that's how I came on to Blind Guardian was they played um, Mirror Mirror on the show. And I was like, man, this is so good. I don't even know what genre this is, but I really like it. It's super melodic. Just And, and the, the technicality of the instruments and stuff are just through the rough so, um, yeah, I became a fan just through that one song. So it's kind of all just an overnight fan at that point. Um, so to get another album and then hear, um, you know, another album's worth of stuff just that blew me away as well. Great gift. That's cool. So my, my question was going to be if you're if what came first, your passion for wrestling or your passion for metal. But I'm guessing by then you were already big into wrestling. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, I, I think that probably um, – <laughs> That that came before almost anything because I I feel that maybe I was a wrestling fan at the age of either four or five. Mm-hmm. So almost like to the point of being cognizant of my own memories, you know, like I was I was already into wrestling and full contact sports and stuff like that. Do you remember your earliest wrestling memory, like your earliest memory of watching wrestling? Do you have any? Indication? I mean, it's kind of a blur, but I, I remember uh kind of sitting up with my with my dad and my grandpa and we were watching Saturday night's main event and the timing seems about right because you know they were uh that that was like WWF at the time their sort of prominent television show in the 80s and early 90s mm-hmm. um and then when i was growing older and going to school and going to a babysitter and stuff uh, i remember that my dad used to tape them you know late at night because they would air I guess past my bedtime and um, you know, I would watch them the next morning right before going. So he would tape them whenever the episodes would air. I wouldn't even know what it would be, I guess nine or 10 PM. And then I would watch them the next day at at 5 AM. And it was always, uh, you know, I was, I was 
always supposed to get woken up at like 6.30 or so, but I would wake up on my own just being so excited because I knew there'd be a new episode of wrestling to watch. I'm with you. Uh, I was the same way on the weekends. I would wake up super early. I wouldn't know when it was on and just turn it on and wait for it. Yeah. Even when, you know, um, they, they made the switch over to Monday Night Raw and mm-hmm. I had a bedtime, I would, you know, try to sneak out and make the kind of blanket fort over the TV so that no one knew <laughs> anyone was awake, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, but to, to sw- switch on to metal a little bit, what, sure. what, are, what are some of your uh, favorites other than, than Blind Guardian? Are there any other bands you dig? Uh, at that time? I mean, that sort of was like... That was sort of a gateway drug to getting into power metal. So from mm-hmm. there, like I, I, I sort of discovered Stradivarius, um, Rhapsody was another one I was into, and then um, I had kind of gotten away from power metal for a little bit, and then when I started coming back out to Japan, uh, I stumbled upon a band called Galnurius, and uh, they're really cool. Um, oh, I, I haven't heard then, of them. What do they sound? Like? You have. Oh, uh, they are, they're really, they sound a lot like Stradivarius actually. Okay. Yeah. They sing mainly in English, but they are a Japanese band and, um, yeah, they, they have this weird show. I'm saying it's weird. It's not weird at all, but, um, (laughs) you know, they'll just, they'll, uh, they'll interview, um, just a band or an artist and they'll play a a song in house kind of live on the episode. And, um, you know, Galnerius was one of those bands and they usually do like idols, pop stars, right. uh, even rappers, but you know, I'm watching this band and you can tell they're, they're probably in the genre of, of rock or something visual K perhaps. And then they played the song called destiny, which, um, which it, it's a great introduction if you don't know what the band's all about. So Galnerius and the song's called destiny is very, very good. Just super just a, a great sing-along tune mm-hmm. but uh yeah um got into that um as for other stuff i mean i started with metallica m- much like a lot of people did yeah um, i was playing ice hockey at a young age and you know we would play stuff to hype us up before matches so i started with the, the master of puppets album by metallica and um i wasn't ever into um metal for the longest time like we would have our school sock ops and dances and they would play Enter Sandman and I would hate it. I would hate when they would play it. I'd be like, get this off. <laughs> or even um, they would play Marilyn Manson too and I didn't like it. Like I, I, I could understand that it was catchy, mm-hmm. you know, like I get it. But then they, they would play it so much and I would just uh, – You were just sick of it? But, like that's – that. Like, uh, that yeah, sense? because it was – I think I was always sort of like – the guy that didn't want to like anything popular when I was in high school. Yeah. So the fact that it was popular just almost upset me. And then I would hear it all the time. And, you know, you, you'd have dudes that would one day be completely into Nirvana. And then the next day they'd be into Maryland mass. It's just whatever the flavor of the month was. Just posers. As we like to say. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not, they existed in high school. So, um, yeah. When I finally heard, um, the master puppets album, I heard, uh, I guess the way the track listing goes, it goes battery and then master of puppets, mm-hmm. um, just back to back. These awesome tracks just blew me away. So I, I asked to borrow the tape, the cassette tape at the time. And, uh, yeah, just everything on that album was so good. And it yeah. just made me go from like, it, it made me just a, a complete fan and, and actually Metallica, I like love their stuff to this day. It, uh, it's, it's timeless. Like any of their, any of their songs from the past are great. And even some of their new stuff is really good too. Yeah. I really like their, their most uh, recent album. It was really good. Hard yeah. Work. I mean, um, yeah. Uh, the, the one song, I think it, um, is it spit out the bone or whatever it's called? Yeah, that's the last yeah, track. On the that's a album. great song. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It kind of sounds like those old metallic, like it, it has the pacing of those old Metallica records where the last song is like the heaviest, like, Dyer's Eve, Damage Incorporated, like it right, fits kind of yeah, in that, yeah. that level, yeah. And I feel like what totally. you said about Enter Sandman, as a Metallica fan, I agree with you completely. I'm so sick of that song that it's just mm-hmm. been played to death. And it's it's always like the one Metallica song that everybody knows. And it, I mean, look, nothing taken away from it. Obviously, it has to be a great song to be that overplayed. Yeah. But it's like there's other really good Metallica songs to listen to. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like, oh, but it's over about a hundred. So yeah, um, I mean, really, uh, I think the the best, the greatest time I ever had listening to that song was maybe just because um, the old ECW wrestler Sandman came out to it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So I mean, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But uh, yeah, that, so that anyway, was the only um, time it's tolerable. You're right. <laughs> the only right, acceptable yeah, time real. is when for Sandman. Real, it came. was. Um, but yeah, so Metallica sort of started, um, the, the, the metallic journey, so to speak. And then I got gradually, uh, kind of more heavier. I never went too crazy. Um, and, but you know, I was really into like fear factory, like super into fear factory. It was probably the band I, I enjoyed the most throughout high school. Just a huge fan. Um, you know, Sepultura, um, was another one, uh, you know, then I would get into more stuff kind of like, you know, static X and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Ramstein was, was good. I still yeah. love Ramstein too. They're amazing. Super I actually, good. I yeah. just saw them live uh, a week or two ago. And oh, really? I, and, uh, I, I feel you would appreciate this. I compared it to a wrestling show, uh, because, uh, they have like, they have a lot of pyro and the pyro in, ah, the, yeah, yeah. in the sense, it's kind of like high spots. So mm-hmm. they they really paced it out so well where they start with like the small pyro like it just you know like fireworks and then like like little pyro shots and then as right. it, as the show progressed the pyro high spots got more and more crazy to the point yeah. that the last mat the last match the last song everything yeah. is blowing up you know and and you're just right. so hyped it, it, they really told a story with their pyro and I, I I really appreciated it from that point of view. Yeah, they psychologically paced it, which is always appreciated. Because, I mean, even – you can even see the um, – because I used to uh, – once I started getting into music and stuff, um, you know, it's not that – I lived in Winnipeg. And uh, we're not like a huge hub for music, but we did get a lot of shows. And um, we also got a lot of, you know, smaller-scaled shows. So I would go very often to the small little um, – sort of hub where uh you know not well-known bands would would be there but they wouldn't need a stadium to play uh so you know that's going to places like those these little uh theaters you know i was able to right. catch uh bands like hate breed live and stuff like that and diecast was another band i really loved in high school oh that's um, awesome i feel like nobody <laughs> nobody knows diecast anymore they kind of no they're so up. good yeah. yeah i mean yeah i mean yeah, it's it is a shame because um, I, when I first heard their their debut, not well, not their debut album, but the album I guess that put them on the map, um, I really thought what they were doing was was almost revolutionary for for kind of metal. Just with a, they had a very like what they did was very catchy, but it wasn't like catchy in a sellout-ish sort of way. It wasn't like overly produced catchy. Mm-hmm. It was just because the the way that they. Um, just the way that they produced the tracks themselves and, uh, you know, with the breakdowns and stuff, like all of them were, were so catchy. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they were yeah, kind of ahead every, of that metalcore curve too. with like all Right. Those exactly. Exactly. Before sort of metalcore became its own thing. And then everyone was doing very similarly sounding breakdowns. Um, diecast was, was like you said, ahead of the curve. And I, I, I love their stuff. Even when they changed their lead singer and they came out with that other album after, um, yeah. that album was still pretty good. Yeah, I really like that. I, I can't. The names of the albums escape me, but I know exactly what you're talking about in that album. Right. Was yeah. good, and that singer was actually. I felt he had much greater range, so he could really he did pick up the clean. I feel like when those when the metalcore trend started, all of these guys who weren't really singers tried to sing and they couldn't. But but like he pulled it off. That guy. Yes. Uh, yeah, he did really really well with it. Um, yeah. No. Definitely. Uh, um, tearing down your blue skies is that the one or day of reckoning is the one you were talking about before yeah day of reckoning was that first one that i had that mm-hmm. i had um listened to and then yeah tearing down your blue skies probably sounds about right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cool well you're you're in japan and yes. i feel the biggest metal band in japan the last few years is baby metal and uh, <laughs> it is uh, yeah probably uh, believe it or not yeah, yeah. Uh, they and what's interesting is they combine the j-pop and metal some metal has some true Metalheads here in the states uh, reject it, <laughs> are mm-hmm, very, very mm-hmm. against it. But for me, I think it's 
amazing. It's so it's so great because first of all, it's fun, and it, yep. it can get kids into metal, which is very important. You got to keep it going. I totally agree. So I was going to ask what your opinion on them is, but yeah, I mean, I had a very similar opinion. I I am. My tastes are very wide open. I, I'm not closed-minded to hearing anything. So as much as I love metal, you know, I love pop. I love hip-hop. I love rap. I love almost anything as long as it sounds good to me, to my ears. So a mixing of genres, um, I'm totally cool with it if they're able to make it right. And if it doesn't sound like they're sacrificing one over the other, as long as it's like a great marriage of ideas. And I think baby metal works fantastically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Have, uh, have you gotten the chance to see them live? No, I, I had tickets in my hand at one point, but you know, work duty had called. So I wasn't able to go, but, um, because I wasn't able to go and I was sort of voiced my disappointment for it. I sort of have like carte blanche and an, open door agreement to come see them any chance there's uh, an opportunity, which I'm really looking forward to because I'll hop on it as soon as I can. Yeah. I so, mean, you're a busy uh, guy. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, no, and especially when I'm here, right? So when, right. I, when I come here, it's kind of I'm here for the purposes of work and they don't really give me much free time. Um, even if I should have free time, they'll fill my schedule with something, some sort of media stuff and all that. So it's, so you Even don't, you don't have, live in, can, you don't live there right like when you're not touring with New Japan, you come back to Canada or, or wherever? Um I, I mean I kinda do live here. I still spend oh, okay. most of my year here by far, but it's almost like if I need to escape work, <laughs> I, I I have to get out. I see. Because yeah, like I mean if we if we for example, if we have a tour and um let's say in between tours there's like a ten day grace period where there's nothing going on they'll still try to fill my schedule eight of those 10 days with something so you know there's going to be a you know a time after a hard tour for example the g1 where the next tour kind of follows soon afterwards but i'm gonna i'm just gonna go home and hide hide from it all (laughs) so they can't so they can't bother me and you guys travel like by buses together right like or or how does that or do you travel um yeah, when we like uh, for the the arenas and such, they are typically f- four hours, four and a half hours apart from each other. Mm-hmm. Ballpark. That's kind of the way that they like to uh, space the venues out. So when that is the case, we do take the tour buses. Yeah, um, there are three of them, and we kind of split up uh, the buses accordingly via you know unit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the bullet club's going to travel together and they're going to travel apart from, um, chaos and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, now today we're in Hokkaido, which, um, for those that don't know their Japanese geography, going from Tokyo to Hokkaido in one shot is about a 30 hour jaunt. So we actually flew this time around, which is nice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Too shabby. And I have to ask, if Bullet Club, if you guys were a band, what would, yeah. the, what would the sound of Bullet Club be? What, what, what subgenre of metal or, or any other subgenre would Bullet Club be? But I feel like they would be a metal you band. You know, I, I, no, I totally agree. And I, I actually thought about this. And I feel like because of the message we try to spread and just kind of, you know, the adversity that we've had to, to go through, it would probably be something like Hatebreed, where, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to spread the message of, fighting through adversity and not giving up and and because we're uh and and it's and this is this is not saying anything negative towards hate breed but because we don't have you know that much time on our hands you know our, our songs are gonna gonna be a little shorter than than most <laughs> yeah hate, hate breed songs usually you know they hit you hard and fast and then they're done they're, yeah. they're they out yeah yeah that's not an insult at all that's an no not at all, not <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah 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 uh i'm curious like i'm so uh, curious about Japanese culture, like ever since kind of getting into New Japan, like I've always been enamored by Japan, but more so mm-hmm. as a New J- Japan fan. And, yep. you know, I, I, I'm cons- like, I want to learn Japanese because <laughs> ah, I, I, yep. I want to understand the promos. Like everyone's everyone's delivering these passionate promos and the announcing in Japanese 
sounds oh, so yes. exciting <laughs> that yes. I just want to hear. Do you have any tips for, for uh, people who speak English or, or anyone else who, who would want to learn Japanese where to start? Yes. I mean, I well, my tips are only really reflective of my own experiences because I learned in a very strange sort of unique way. How did you pick up on it? Uh, uh, I mean, I probably did what everyone did at the beginning, which is, you know, you buy a textbook or like an audio book or whatever, and you just kind of study it normally how you would study, you know, your homework from school. And I found that it never stuck. And, um, and it's not because I didn't want to learn it, nothing to do with that. It's just because it, I think it resembled work too much mm-hmm. to go about it that way. And nothing was interesting in the way that it was presented to me. Um, wasn't it, it's like when you kind of make the, just like a textbook and the, and the, the sentence you're studying is like, um, there is a dog, there is a cat, you know, I eat food. Um, even if you memorize lines like that, which I did in the beginning before going to my first tour in 2008, you you realize quite quickly that not much of that is actually of use in the real world. Right. You know, may, maybe in a car you're going to pass by a dog and then you can say, oh, there's dog in Japanese. And as in, I mean, I'm, I'm sure someone may be impressed by it. You know, it's not going to help your living skill, your survival skill in the country. You can't uh, develop relationships with that level of, of language. So what I did was um, I immersed myself more so in um, like Japanese media and I would watch uh, – I would, I would make an effort to try to find some kind of show that – I could watch in Japanese, you know, with subtitles. That was of kind of an easy level where they're using more conversational Japanese. Like I'm not going to find like a, a political drama or something like right. that. Or something, like the news. Uh, I feel they always speak so quickly on right. the news. Yeah. Right. You never want to learn that way because, I, I mean, to this day, I, I wouldn't be able to understand a lot of what they're talking about because they're using um, very – like sophisticated grammar, sort of, as opposed to the exactly, more and it's very language. crisp and clean and overly polite, where no one would ever use that in a typical conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I mean, um, I would I would just scour the databases for animes that I liked. Um, however, as good as um, as good as anime is for learning, it's different because of the way mouths and such are animated you can't really get a a Mm. feeling for how you're actually supposed to speak the words if that makes sense yeah it totally so right so the best way to do it for me anyway best way to do it was uh i found live action dramas and um they really helped and i if there was something that i wanted to uh, learn from that, or if there's a, like a, a translated, because you know I'm still watching with subtitles. So you're watching if a I Japanese, see, a native Japanese show with English subtitles, right? With English subtitles, right, and if right. and if I see something uh, within the subtitles that you know looks like could be useful, I will watch that scene over, and I'll try to pick apart, you know, what what part of what section of you know that scene you know, this translated part of the dialogue is actually in and then i would learn that way it takes a little bit of work um yeah. how, how long but, would you say did it take you until you felt comfortable like speaking it in public even you know like where you were like okay i can get by i uh, yeah i started in 2008 like i'd said and i started the wrong way the wrong way <laughs> for me anyway mm-hmm. and um i had met a friend who had gone to uh, university in Alabama. So he was kind of more or less bilingual and he had helped me, um, just trans, he was helped me translate. He kind of made sure I just didn't turn up dead someplace in in Japan. (laughs) So he was, he was a lifesaver, but I was leaning on him so much to the point where I felt like I really needed to find a new way. And, um, that's kind of when I, I stumbled upon, 
this I, I mean I'm sure it's it's a legitimate method but I, I I kind of just thought of it myself was just to take a more um, studied approach when I actually watch dramas and stuff to try to retain more of what was going on and focus not only on the words on the screen but the dialogue that was going with it I don't know if you watch a lot of subtitled uh, shows or not but I found that when I was doing it, and I still do it to this day, if I don't care and my my brain is shut off, you actually kind of shut off your brain to the words that are being spoken. You kind of mm -hmm. – you hear them. You know they're being spoken, but you're not really – if someone asked you to repeat what had been said, a second after it had been said, you'd, you probably would have, wouldn't even know where to start because you'd, you'd just focus too much on the English translation on the bottom. Right. Um, See, for me, I kind of find like after an hour – or so of, of reading the yeah. subtitles. It's almost the opposite where you can kind of sense what they're saying based on how they emote. Like, like mm -hmm. I, well, I still yes, look at that, the subtitles, the, but it kind of gives you a, a tip. Right. And that's, that's the important part. That's what you want to start picking up is, you know, the, the nuance and stuff and uh, how the words are spoken and how, like how a conversation actually sounds and flows. Mm -hmm. It's very important. And uh, even by, by, deciphering kind of how a conversation should flow that almost helps you figure out the way to place your words right. what words are correct what words aren't correct in the in that scenario just the certain cadences if, that they use right and yeah. then from there of course is building your own vocabulary and for me that was that was um you just have to just grind that out yeah that's like what word do you want to say? Look it up. Write it down. You know, use it in a real sentence. Yeah, yeah. The Eventually, practice makes you know, perfect. Yeah. Right. And like, yeah, there's no other way aside from that, for, for me anyway. And you've been doing it for, like, nine years now, so you've, you've built up a, enough of a vocabulary to have a good arsenal of terms yeah. and phrases to, to use. Definitely, yeah. Um, and, you know, there's stuff that I – that you learn and you'll feel like you need a breakthrough, but because you it's, – it's so high level – and uncommonly used that you may not retain it mm -hmm. and that's going to happen. But I mean, it, it's as long as it doesn't discourage you. Do you know any other languages other than Japanese? No. Uh, I mean, I was actually really good in French, um, right. in, in my high school days. Right. It was an optional class. You know, we didn't have to take it, but I, I was always about the top of my class in, in French. So I, I guess, Sounds a lot like wrestling. Maybe I just right? have a knack for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Right now. Right now, I feel. Yeah. I feel yeah, that's Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, if you talk to uh, if you talk to some WWE fans, they may disagree, but. That's because they don't know. <laughs> I yeah, mean, like. They just No, they don't want to know. Right. But that's well, okay. Well, you yeah. know, look, I have to say as somebody who at one point, like, was that type of fan. There is mm. there you there is a barrier to it. I feel like the the having the Japanese language commentary. It's like kind of oh yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like foreign. You know, it, it's kind of like uh, the kids who liked the kids who liked Enter Sandman. They're right. the ones who are like, oh, s screw master. You know, like they're anti elitists. <laughs> right. Of course. No. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. They're like, you know, I'm not even going to listen to Master Puppets. How yeah. could it be better? Yeah. This song is a single. This song's making all the money. I'm not even going to try. You're wrong. No. Totally. That's exactly what it's like. Uh, but if you if you take your time, like what I find uh, is that for the time I invest, uh, mm -hmm. like if there's a formula of time invested to entertainment value. New Japan has the highest ratio of that. <laughs> like, it's such a rewarding experience to watch it because it is a sport. It is treated like it's obviously entertainment, but it's yeah. it's presenting a sport as entertainment as opposed to like there are rules to the story and it's followed and and things get followed up. And, and I feel that's something that that we need more of. <laughs> there, there yeah. yeah, I think it, I think it's, uh, you know, there's a benefit to us being forced to tell our stories or whatever story it is that we want to tell, there's a benefit to us having to tell it through our actions in the ring. Um, I, I do actually kind of wish we were, we were a bit more of a hybrid mm -hmm. where we could do some of the crazy sort of backstage stuff that, you know, a company like WWE would do. But 
Um, I feel like you're kind of slowly pushing that in, though. Like, right? We're doing. Yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah, with the with us doing our online show, being the elite, mm-hmm. um, we're able to kind of get the best of both worlds, where we can make stories from nothing, continue stories that you know may have happened on a show or in the ring, and um, yeah, it allows us a, a little more freedom to to do the uh, more dramatic. Uh, soap opera type of stuff. And it seems like New Japan gives you like carte blanche, like go ahead, do it. Like, oh, I'm curious, like right. how, how much do you have to kind of, I don't know if like the term, like the phrase is like get approved by them or like run it past that. Mm. Like, or do they just kind of like, this is where we're going with the match. You figure out how to get there. This is who wins. Or is it more of a collaborative Process, or like uh, well, the feud, I everything, say. yeah, everything that we do is is uh, on our own. We do, we never actually ask for permission. This is with being the elite, you mean? Yeah, with being the elite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we do know our boundaries, and there are things that we can't do, and we've sort of been warned we cannot do. For example, um, you know, we can't film portions of the episode in the ring during a match which we would love to do, but we can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, and that's not, that's not even a new Japan decision. That's actually part of the contract that we've, uh, made with TV Asahi who films all of our stuff and help us with our streaming service. I see. So just, yeah. So we're contractually obligated to have only their cameras present, um, for any show. So whereas it, it would be okay. It, it, can't be because it's it's actually a violation of the contract so um so we would love to actually continue stories in the ring or in the arena or whatever but everything that takes place on the episodes is kind of um outside of that that ringside domain right but generally i mean they trust us they see how many views we're getting they see that it's it's something that's catching up we're not disrespecting any of their angles or storylines or wrestlers um yeah, and it's and getting they, over. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. And they see the success and they like it. Yeah. So um, I'm sure at one point, maybe when we were trying to get it off the ground, they wanted more uh, sort of say into what we filmed and what we didn't. But now they kind of really trust us with the whole project. And, um, you know, it goes for my wrestling too even. You know, the Kenny Omega cleaner character, it was um, – they really wanted to have a hand in everything that I did in the, in the beginning. And now they just kind of trust me to do whatever it is that I want. And, um, you know, the freedom is nice. It's nice to have that trust. And uh, I guess the the only thing they ask in return is that we produce the results. And it seems like you've been delivering in that department as well, although you haven't had a five-star match this year. How's yeah, that? I know. I'm, I've I've been desperately <laughs> searching for it, and I, I thought that I had it for sure on the uh, US G1 tournament. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but again, uh, uh, it's it's always going to be a matter of opinion. And uh, yeah. Dave's been really kind to me. Uh, but you've been getting a lot of the way. Praise. The way, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like the, the in my mind, yeah. I had thought for sure the. I had thought the match of uh, night one with Elgin would be a 4.5. And then I thought the main event on night two was going to be my five for the weekend. In the end, both got 4.75. So I'm averaging out the same. So I can't really complain. <laughs> so, but like, yeah, well, I'm, st- I'm still desperately searching for that first five of the year. Though. <laughs> do, like we're joking around. But like, do you do you do you give thought to that? Like after a match or you're like, yeah, that's a five or like. Or is it? <laughs> yeah, that was a fun. No, uh, generally speaking, like I my my first like knee jerk reaction to everything is I try to recall the fans in house. How are they reacting to the match? And I and I try to reflect on that right away as soon as the match is done. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just obvious where you know you feel it. It's it's you feel it in the ring. It's magical. It sticks with you, and you don't even have to give it a second thought. You're like, okay, the fans love that. Great. Um, after that, you know, how did the, how did your opponent like it? How did the office like it? Then after that, okay, how did the community like it? Um, 
you know, because it's sometimes there's a disconnect, right? There's a there's matches that are great live, and sometimes it doesn't translate as well, or may translate better on on TV. So yeah. you know, you, I like to see the um, the differences between how the reaction was live and then how the reaction was, you know, on our streaming service or on TV or however they watched it. And um, then after all of that, you know, I just sit and wait patiently and like, okay, what did the critics say? But it comes way down the line. Right. And yeah, I could, uh, as someone who watched it on TV, I thought all of your matches came off of me. The Ishii match, especially, I was, I, I do, I am not a vocal person when watching wrestling on television, but there were certain parts like the, uh, the suplex, the dragon suplex spot uh, off the apron oh, where yeah. I, like my heart, like it, that was high drama of the highest order. And both of you played your roles perfectly and like Ishii is what like a total gem of a talent in the new Mm -hmm. Japan roster and that it seems like you know he could have a hard-hitting you know brutal old style Japan match and then he can he can like trade off with you and like you know work with your side like the dude is unstoppable (laughs) yeah I uh, I was really glad that things worked out the way that they did because I think that in this sort of new Style, um, because I mean, there is there really is no more classical strong style because classical strong style. If you really go back and watch it, um, it would be you'd be hard pressed to find people that would mesh well with that style unless they committed a hundred percent to wrestling in that same way. Mm-hmm. Now we're a more worldwide sort of international product. And we have, you know, uh, lucha um, athletes. We have guys from England kind of doing catch style. We have just kind of typical North American entertainment style, uh, you know, guys like me that are, are trying to make their own, mixing everything and making like a hybrid style. So Ishii, I think, is a, is a prime example who has sort of that kind of throwback strong style, but he's really actually new age strong style. And I think he... Having him in that main event slot in the tournament was a great way to show, you know, this is sort of New Japan circa 2017. This is what we've become. And uh, I I almost think he was maybe the perfect man for the job. Um, Yeah, I'd have to agree. Yeah. And I'm I'm just really glad that the fans took to it, too. Um, I mean, I, I figured that they would. But, I mean, when you look at night one... And the the guys getting the huge reactions, right? It was you know myself, the Bucks, Tanahashi, Okada, Naito, I guess. Um, Ishii was kind of you know silently winning himself over with those with the crowd. And by the end of night two, in that main event, everyone's like, "My God, I didn't really know who this guy was, but boy, is he good!" Mm-hmm. And he he deserved it. You know, he yeah. busted his busted his butt. I think part of it had to do with that awesome match he had with Zack Saber at the beginning of the with the yeah, like the rope really break. Set, yeah. yeah, it set really set the table for him. And then you know the main event being just a just this war of attrition, really physical, hard hitting match to really show that you know this is this is probably the only place you can see this type of matchup, which you know it was a cool little message to send everyone. And and like so like you you wrestled twice. Like what did you do in the interim when you? had that time in between where you just drowning in water, like hydrating yourself as much as possible. Like how do you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I kind of took the same approach as I did for the, um, 60 minute match Mm -hmm. where you, you really go into it knowing that it's going to take a toll on your body. My, my style is really dynamic and explosive and it's, it's tough for me to, you, to get into that gear, to get the engine churning to the point where you can go from zero to 200 on a moment's notice many times throughout the match over and over and over again, and then to have to shut down from that, cool off, and then keep in mind you have to do it all over again in like an hour or whatever it was. It's yeah. it's really tough like physically and mentally to get back into that 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 mind space and even physically to, to bring yourself back to that point where, okay, I have to be firing on a hair trigger again. It's so tough. So, yeah, hydration was a part of it. But just 
I, I don't, I can't even, I can't even tell. It was really difficult for me though. I was like, man, before going out to do the Ishii match, I was like, Jesus, like this might be more difficult for me than the hour long match because at least I could stay. I could keep the engine revving. Right. Your adrenaline that entire... kept building. With that. Right. Right. And instead of having to shut down and having to, to start back up cold again, oh, it was tough. And the, I think it was the crowd that really got me through that one. That's awesome. Uh, uh, two, two more questions. I'll let you go. I know, I know we went way yep. over. Uh, so with, with the G1 right now, the story that, that I see uh, that, that's building and that's been building in, in New Japan or I don't know if it's building in New Japan, but that you you have been talking about is you are planning on getting to the finals of the G1 and you mm-hmm. want your rival Kota Ibushi to be in the finals of the G1. And I saw a quote from Kota where he said uh, he didn't want to face you because he thought it would end both of your careers. And he goes, now I think if we did something, now I think if we did face each other, someone might die and that you frighten Kota. <laughs> How do you feel about it? <laughs> I mean, there is there is no stories. This is just reality. Um, I I don't believe New Japan at any one point in time had any plans for us to be anywhere near each other. And um, even though it's a big money match, it's what everyone wants to see, and it's it really is um, kind of like real life drama. Everything that I've said in interviews. It's kind of true, and um, even those comments from Ibushi, that, that <laughs> they are true. We stop. We there were many times in DDT when we were together. That company wanted to go back to that match mm-hmm. so many times. It was a, it was the easy sellout match. They could fill arenas with that easily anytime, and we'd said we can't because. If we do this, we're going to push ourselves to the point of no return. Someone is for sure going to get hurt or worse. We can't do it. So we agreed to it the one more time, uh, which was at Budokan in 2012. And then we said, like, we'll do it this one time. We can't ever do it again. That was an insane match. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it was probably the most physically demanding match that I've ever done. And um, we had made a promise to each other after that that we wouldn't we would never do it again unless unless the the situation was right. Mm-hmm. And we didn't say what exactly that situation would be, but in our minds we kind of thought that right situation would probably have to be the Tokyo Dome. But we didn't say it. It was kind of unspoken. But we we sort of knew what we what we were thinking. And um, would the finals you know, also be a, a situation? I think so, because now having been there, um, the finals, although you know, in size and spectacle, the G1 finals isn't as, as large of a venue mm-hmm. as the Tokyo Dome, it certainly feels like the most special occasion of the year. Absolutely. And I think it's, yeah, and it's it's really kind of maybe the moment that the fans mostly look forward to is the crowning of the G1 champion of the year. This is the time of year when we have the most sponsors, where our tickets sell the fastest, where the demand is most through the roof. Um, people wait all year for this tournament. And... I mean, everyone wants to see that final match. So it may be the place. It may be the time. Well, that's the one I I definitely, I would love to see that as the finals. But, you know, I have no doubt that Kenny Omega is making it. If Ibushi doesn't make it to the finals, (laughs) would you, you, uh, Uh based on what you just said, would you lay out the challenge for him to compete for your U.S. title at the Tokyo Dome, would that be something that you could see yourself doing? Uh, or, is, or is it a little too early to say? That's a tough call because um, Ibushi is a very strange individual 
And I don't know if he has plans to stick around. Mm. He's really fly by night. And yeah, um, if he sticks around and he's here for the long term, I can imagine our paths crossing and I would refuse to wrestle him in any place but the Tokyo Dome if, if the G1 passes us by. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to pass him by you. I have no doubt you're making it to the final. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, last question. If you yep. could feud with anybody in the history of pro wrestling, living or dead, what would your dream like six-month feud be or a year feud? Whoa. That's a very good question. Um, wow. You know, I'm, I'm just going to say who came to mind – Originally, because right. if, if I overthink it, it it's not going to be an organic answer. Yeah. But when you asked the question, I thought about what could be fun and what could be, um, I guess, revolutionary for the sport. I would probably have to say, you know, when he was healthy, of course, uh, Mick mm-hmm. Foley. Oh. I think we could do some some crazy, some crazy stuff together. Which which very iteration of his would you would you mankind want? mankind okay. for sure? Okay. Yeah, Mankind when he was doing the Hell in the Cell, Boiler Room Brawl type stuff. You know, I would yeah. I would have loved to have been the I, – I, if, if the timing was different and, you know, I had sort of came onto the scene way earlier, I would have loved to have been in the mix. Doing stuff with him at that point in time would have been real cool. Um, you know, the easy answer, of course, would have been something like Shawn Michaels or even Kurt Angle, like an, a real athlete – um, Rob Van Dam would be another cool guy to, to, to do something, uh, some cool stuff with, um, as a performer entertainer, uh, I've, I've said in the past, I would love, love to do an angle with Vince McMahon would no. be so fun. Um, well, you might have a chance down the line. We don't know. <laughs> I don't know how, how well, yeah, I, I don't know how much he wants to be in front of the camera anymore though. That's like true. I think his, his days of working in, in the ring are, are are numbered but yeah like there's there's different routes mm-hmm. and um but i guess yeah for for right now that with the style that i'm kind of going forward with and the stories that i'm telling mankind probably seems to jive the best with it um but yeah there's so many dudes but if we're going right now i mean the guy i would love to wrestle i mean there's a there's a few i mean we 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 talked about him on this episode. I would love to wrestle Chris Jericho. Yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, oh, um, Winnipeg feud. <laughs> the king of yeah, the king of Winnipeg match. I would love to wrestle AJ Styles. We still have that history. Yes. We have the unfinished business together. I'd love to wrestle John Cena. There's um, a, there's a lot of dudes that would I think I would really mesh well with. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of uh, anybody you wouldn't really mesh well with. I feel like <laughs> right, uh, yeah. you and Billy Gunn would have a classic. <laughs> I Actually, you know, it's funny you mention that because I was really hoping that I would get a singles with Billy at some point. And then, you know, they announced Billy versus Todd, and I was like, ah, damn, that's probably, <laughs> it's probably my last chance. It's gone. <laughs> well, but we'll it I thought it would have been real fun, though. Well, Braun Strowman would be another guy that I think would be a real fun match. Do you keep up? Do you like try to keep up with other other? I mean, like you're a busy guy. But do you just read it online? Yeah. Do you watch stuff? Like, how do you? Uh, you know, I'm, I've, of course I read stuff. Reading stuff is easy because you mm-hmm. know everything's popping up on my timeline. Mm-hmm. I watch uh, highlights of shows. I could never, yeah, because you know uh, it's it's tough. You know, there's there's Ring of Honor, PWG, um, WWE, of course. I don't uh, even Lucha Underground. I watch a lot of the highlights too. Do you, do you, so you still consider yourself a fan of wrestling? No, not at all. Not no, at all. Not, not at all. No, it's literally <laughs> just for just for the purpose of my job. That's all it is. I see. Yeah, I, I it's uh, and it, that's not to say I don't take enjoyment and stuff. No, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, like when it yeah. becomes your job, it's you you view it from a different angle. Or... Yeah, definitely is a different uh, perspective to it. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, Kenny, man, I can't. Thank you enough. On the morning of the G1, I hope 
my conversation with you inspires you <laughs> to, have, to have an amazing G1. When you're in there, you I'll, have I'll try, man. <laughs> you have Master of Puppets and Hatebreed blasting in your head. You have those earworms right, going yeah. <laughs> on your way to victory. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough. Like I, I, I've from the moment I, I I heard that Jericho podcast where you said you love. Blind Guardian of all bands, not like oh yeah, I'm a big you know like I love Enter yeah, Sandman by Metallica. Not fan or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like Blind Guardian. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But I just, like such a specific, relatively obscure in relation to the mainstream world band. I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, I would love to talk to you about metal, and I'm sure plenty metalheads on Metal Injection are, are, are hearing you for the first time, and definitely check out Kenny's matches. I, I tell everyone about. Uh, your stuff I sent the Wrestle Kingdom match to anyone who even had the faintest interest in wrestling so, <laughs> well, thank you so much so I really dig it thank you so much Kenny I'm still pumped from that interview what a great time thank you again to Kenny I'm rooting for Kenny like I mentioned I want to see Kenny versus Bushi in the G1 finals and I want to hear from you what did you think of the interview as always I'd love to hear your feedback hit me up on Twitter at Rob Injection or uh, follow the Squared Circle Pit Twitter page at Squared Circle Pit, no E in circle. Uh, and I post wrestling memes and gifs and, and stuff, cool archival photos all throughout the week. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Squared Circle Pit. It's going to do it for me for this week. We'll be back again in two weeks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the schedule every other week as best as I can until I have another crazy vacation or something it's thursday pwg tickets go on sale tonight and my anxiety is through the roof i'm gonna try to get tickets to bola it's my birthday weekend why the figured what, what better time to go and check out pwg in reseda california i'll let you know if i get him on the next episode till then stay brutal